You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. As a listener to our podcast, we'd love to offer you 20% off everything on sarahraven.com. Just use the code PODCAST20G, which is relevant until the 25th of November, and T's and C's apply. See sarahraven.com for details. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my friend Arthur Parkinson. This week, as we get towards the end of the year, we thought we would do a kind of resume, I suppose, in a way, of all our favourite bigger things for the garden. Because we don't talk about that very much. We tend to talk about lots of annual flowering plants and, well, dahlias are quite big. But anyway, we thought today we'd talk about shrubs, trees... And climbers, kind of in general, really. I have just got back from a trip to the Netherlands and I went to visit a few gardens in a place called Loisden. I've probably pronounced that wrong, but there was one in particular that I found completely exhilarating and exciting. And it was a garden of someone called Marika Nolson. And I was taken there by my Dutch friend, Dickie Skipper, and it was just movingly beautiful combination of hydrangeas with, funnily enough, small crab apples. And there were lots of other plants, but it was just, it was a shade garden and it was under these huge ancient oak trees in this rather beautiful old, rather grand country park. And the garden is built around what was an estate building. And it picks up the theme of pale yellow, very pale sort of odoniel, soft green, and then greens. And I just found her use of little small crab apples pruned very, very hard, almost, I mean, not bonsai, but really pruned very hard into, into either squares or or lollipops or whatever, they just look wonderful with the combination of the hydrangeas. And it reminded me of Arthur because he is a great crabapple fan. So over to <laughs> Arthur on some recommendations. Yeah, I am. And I'm glad you I'm glad you've mentioned them because they I think they're very undervalued small garden trees. And I wish I wish councils would, would plant them more because you get the blossom and then you get the fruit and you know, the fruit hangs on on some of the varieties right into winter. And it's so jolly on a mm. on a really dull winter's day to see trees that have still got the fruit. And of course, trees that have got fruit are going to attract the blackbirds and field fairs and all the lovely fruit eating birds because they become a really important source of food for them. A really good one is John Downey, mm. which is a very nice one. Royalty is very good. And what what's the one that you've got, Sarah, growing well, out of your head? Yeah, so we've got two here. And they're both pretty sizable. But having seen Marika's garden, I'm going to reinvestigate uh, with some new plants and really try and keep them small and bonsai them and, and prune them mm. hard. But the two I've got, I've got the first one is called Hooperhensis, inspired by an amazingly beautiful tree at Great Dixter. But this is a full-size tree. But it's... You know, we've pruned it quite hard and it's it definitely would fit in any 
small to medium size sort of urban garden, I would say. It's an ideal size. And the thing that I've noticed recently that it's covered in these little bead-like crabs. I mean, they're really tiny, but the blackbirds utterly adore them. And it was pouring with rain yesterday. It was like being outside. It was like being in a shower. And (laughs) male blackbirds particularly, I noticed, not the females, but there were five male blackbirds in our pair of trees just feasting away regardless of the torrential rain coming from the heavens. So I was interested in two ways, but one that they'd gone to (laughs) that, you know, above the apples, which are next door to it, there's an apple tree, above the rose hips, above the amelanchia fruit, above the hawthorns, they were all these blackbirds congregated on our malus hupensis. (laughs) So it was definitely their garden caviar for the day. (laughs) And then the other one that we have lots of here is a variety called Dartmouth. And that was actually inspired by Sissinghurst, where they used to have two crabapple trees on the front lawn as you go under the entrance arch to the right and the left, um, just before you get to the entrance arch. I was inspired by the idea because actually they're not there anymore. But I looked them up and again, they've got this beautiful, classic crabapple, apple blossom, white, pink wash. And then these really jewel-like medium, not not whopper, but medium crabs, and they last brilliantly. So I bring that in from now on, right the way through the autumn, and I take most of the leaf off a branch, and I just use one branch in a big vase on its own in the kitchen, and it looks fabulous. And again, just lots and lots of birds are on those, sparrows and dunnets and the blue tits and things. So those are the two I've got here, but I'm definitely going to be experimenting with more. And I, I've planted in Nottingham, probably a bit stupidly of me, the one that has the largest crabapple of all called Wisley. And if you like to make crabapple jelly, I'd really recommend that one because it's almost the size of a cooker apple, to be honest. Mm. People don't realise it is a crabapple. And they say, oh, why haven't you picked your beautiful ruby red apples? And I say, because if you do bite into one, you will have a shock because mm. they're almost as citrusy as a lemon yes, um, yes. but it was funny I, I looked at your calendar the other day and there's a recipe for crabapple jelly which sounds delicious with rowan berries yes and I said to my mum we must try and make that mum and she went yeah well if you've got a spare day to do that you go ahead <laughs> so we've just got a big bowl of wisley apples that look beautiful but I, I don't think they're going to end up in a jelly bag sadly Well, I've been making, from some of our Wimful apples, I've been making a damson and apple membrillo. And I'll put put all these recipes in the podcast sheets, the fact sheets of the preserves that you can make with crab apples or or windfall apples or whatever. And and then what about other of these bigger structural things, Arthur? What what shrubs are you going to go for? I have to say the garden that I've known for the past two years in the corner, uh, it's not in, in our garden, but it's in our neighbour's garden, is a, a 30-foot holly tree. Wow. I, I love it. It's the most favourite thing because it is always alive with birds. They're mm. always in it because it gives them protection. Yeah. It molts all through summer, which is quite annoying because you have to hob, you know, the yeah. leaves. But I forgive it for that because in the spring, because uh, it's a female holly, it has beautiful honey scent because its little flowers mm. are amazingly perfumed. You, you They're almost unnoticeable, but Gosh. they bring in all the bees. And then at this time of year, it, it's becoming like an English version of a Christmas tree with these berries, you know, getting redder and redder by the day. Oh, 
That's so but nice. I just love it because it. If we didn't have that in the garden, I don't think we'd have hardly any birds. Yes. You know, all the blue tits in it, the robins in it, the blackbirds. So I would champion holly and I, I long to plant plant more. Because, I mean, it, I find it so counterintuitive. Honestly, the plant that is most eaten by deer in the whole of Perch Hill, apart from perhaps the grass, <laughs> is <laughs> holly. So I, really? I, I've planted, I, I don't know, I would say... Between five and ten holly bushes here because it does so well in the hedgerows, but they must just be really well established because it's when it's young, they absolutely adore the first foliage. Gosh. And it's the one plant here. They they must have very tough mouths because they seem to like our they roses must. too, but they <laughs> munch away at that holly. It's absolutely extraordinary. So I have mm. to go right off down to the fields and into the wood where you'd think they would eat it there, but it's covered in, in berries there. It seems to be a very good year for berries, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. And just again on on trees, perhaps before we get smaller, mm. I've just got to passionately rave about a couple of trees, I guess, here that are perfect for smaller gardens. And the first is Crotegus, which is one of the hawthorns, of course, Persimilis prunifolia. And it's amazing hawthorn, which has much more crabapple-sized haws. But you can tell they're haws because they've got that classic whirl that you get, you know, at the end, which, of course, rosehips and, and crabapples don't have that that sort of spiky bit, <laughs> don't know what it's called. And they are wonderful in the spring, beautiful mix of colors of spring emergent foliage. They have very nice single, quite big hawthorn blossom. Now they're absolutely covered in berries, which are beginning to be eaten by the birds, but not quite as favored as the ones we were just talking about, the Malus hupensis. But color has just literally in the last day or two has just become absolutely stunning. Ochre, red, orange, flame, you know, just amazing. Absolutely stunning uh, tree for a small garden. So I'll put the name of that in the notes. And as ever, I would passionately advocate the Amelanchia, particularly multi-stem varieties. But there's no doubt that it doesn't perform as strongly as the Crotagus. It's beautiful and delicate, and I love it, but it's it's not quite as kind of robust and, and sort of showy, I guess. And then what about the understory, Arthur? So are you going to advocate any hydrangeas for these? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if you'd consider it an understory because I know it's almost as tall as your kitchen windows at this time of year, but I I, I do like Incredible Yeah. simply for picking. I just think what an amazing thing that yeah. becomes a, a character inside as well as outside. Uh, so I, I love love seeing the bed of those that you've got, and they make very big plants, don't they? You don't need many for the yeah. impact after a few a few years of them maturing. They're such good value, and they they just flower for such a long time. I'm also a massive fan of this one called Limelight. And going back to mm. Marika's garden, where I was mentioning at the beginning, she had lots of quite sort of groovy new species, and there was one called Hydrangea quercifolia. I think it was called Teardrop, but it was just the most beautiful, beautiful, unbelievably glamorous, big panicles of pinky, creamy pinky flowers. And mm. she had lots, she had something like 10 or 12 different hydrangea species in her garden. It really made me realize, as well as the crab apples, I've got to do more experimenting with hydrangeas because I think they're such low maintenance plants. 
Yeah, and brilliant, brilliant for picking too. And brilliant for picking. So then are we going to mention a few things to climb up our trees and through our shrubs (laughs) to give an even longer season? So starters for 10 on climbers, Arthur. Well, maybe not something to go up through something, but certainly to dress a wall or a fence uh, that clings. I, I just think hydrangea paniculatus is quite hard to beat. Yeah, You know, it, I, I think it's nice to have something that, you know, is just going to cling itself on because I've got so many roses and things that I know are going to need to be tied in uh, over the winter. It can get a little bit boring. Yeah. So if you, if you want a wall or part of your house to be nicely covered, I'm definitely going to plant one of those this winter. Yeah. And that reminds me, I'm sorry to butt in, but the selenums, I, I'm I'm going to go for that white one, the white climbing mm. selenum. So they're related to the potato and uh-huh. they look like little potato flowers, but white. And it just flowers on and on right the way in a tender, you know, protected place. I've seen them flowering till Christmas. So I, I think... Um, the selenums are just really invaluable climbers. And I'm definitely going to be planting one of those this autumn. And I'm obsessed by the clematis we have in the Oast Garden here called Madame Julia Coroval. Because people often say about clematis that they just don't flower for very long. But I've got photographs I was looking at because I was pulling together the catalogue today. And I have got Madame Julia in flower in the 10th of June, and I've got it in flower on the 20th of August. And I think that's pretty good going for such a major showy, velvety, carmine, sort of cross with crimson, you know, really vigorous, healthy climber. And so I think some of those clematis that give you that sort of scale of just romping up in a really naturalistic way, we've got them growing over these huge rebar frames that sound disgusting, but you don't see the rebar. They look like the nose of Concord, but you don't see the rebar at all. You just see this great mop of hair of the of the clematis. Yeah. I love um, honeysuckle more and more, and I love there's a corner of, of your garden, of, of the Hawthorne hedge, where Graham Thomas pops itself up yeah. through the top of the hedge, and I'm always picking it when I'm, when I'm at Perch Hill. And um, this spring I did a gorgeous arrangement in the narrow vase of honeysuckle just cascading like octopus tendrils through narcissi actea i'm not sure if they usually flower at the same time of year or whether it's because of climate change but it was one of my favorite arrangements this year because it was just such a perfume factory yeah so I, I love honeysuckle for that and it's back to birds they love the berries and the berries are very rarely still on the honeysuckle by december because they're obviously very tasty particularly to bullfinches yes um, so they're very yes. very good for attracting the glamazons of the the finch world into your garden yes very good description of the bullfinch <laughs> and we we've had a trial here this year which i almost forgot to talk about actually but i must because it's been of the black-eyed susans the tumberges and there's one that we've grown and i absolutely adore here for years called tumberger african sunset which is sort of apricot moving through pink and crimson very soft crimson all through an apricot base very sort of mm. muted and lovely and what we found with that is it actually is happiest not necessarily climbing up very far but actually spreading out and so we've been trying it and experimenting with it in hanging baskets but also as ground cover as well as sort of climbing up and through things and it's been really splendid and so I I couldn't more recommend that as a sort of ground cover plant 
But certainly the one that's won in our trial this year is a variety called, I think it's called something like Sun Eyes or Sunny Eyes, and it's the orange variety. And it's really noticeable in the trial. We've got these arches down the perennial cutting garden, and the African sunset has got only a third of the way up the arch. Sun Eyes Orange has got right the way and is meeting in the middle. And then Sun Eyes Yellow is a little bit beyond, and it's somewhere in between the two in terms of vigor. So if you want, I mean, you don't always want vigorous things, but we, for that particular place, want the climbers to meet. And what we find is sweet peas just don't tend to do it before they get mildew. So we've been looking for something. So we're definitely going to be planting with these sort of terracotta-y, bronzy, orange colors in the Sun Eyes series of Tumbergia and alternating them with another plant, a climber, that we've had a huge success with this year and more people have asked me about this on our recent open days than any other plant. And that's one of the sweet potatoes. And it's Ipamea, and it's called Solar Tower Black. And the thing that's been exciting about it is it also cuts brilliantly and is very vigorous. So you can almost hack away and use it as foliage, you know, really nice trailing, curving shape foliage um, in a vase, as well as having it curving out and cascading down from all your pots and hanging baskets. I think it's a cracking plant. And the combination of the two, the orange Tumbergia with the crimson black Ipamea, is a, is a bit of a winner. Mm. Well, seeing as you've mentioned an annual climber, I've got to mention Cabea scandens now. Oh, yeah. Because it's the most wonderful thing. You'll, you can pick it on Christmas Day if it's in a sheltered place. And uh, even in London, to be honest, it, it is perennial in a good microclimate where the frost doesn't touch it, as long as you don't hack it back. But I love it. And it's one of those seeds that you must sow in January, though, I think, to get a good flowering uh, season from it. If it's sown late, it's shy to flower, but sow it early in the year on a windowsill and then plant it out when the nights are warm in a big pot or somewhere in the garden that it can climb up through something or up a trellis or up an arch. And um, it's such a good dresser. I, I really love it. And so exotic Yeah, for winter, actually. Yeah, it's an absolute cracker. Good. So a few recommendations for trees, shrubs. Yeah, we did a few, a few hydrangeas, didn't we, Arthur? And then climbers. So those are a few highlights and we hope you love them. Thanks so much for listening to Grow Cookie to Range. Next week, I'm back with Arthur and we're going to chat about really low maintenance perennial borders. He's designing a garden for his brother And he knows his brother's just got no time and his brother's partner to garden. And so he wants to make them a really beautiful haven, but with a very, very low maintenance design and setup. So we'll be talking about exactly that. See you then. As a listener to our podcast, we'd love to offer you 20% off everything on sarahraven.com. Just use the code PODCAST20G, which is relevant until the 25th of November, and T's and C's apply. See sarahraven.com for details. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com.